Hello! I hope this video finds you well today. I've really enjoyed the feedback and the communication that you guys have been putting out there ever since we started the study a couple weeks ago. I thought Cindy's blog post last week was really helpful and practical to me personally, and I was really grateful to her for posting that. I had originally intended to finish this study with a week focused on how we can be vulnerable and get close to and be generous with other people because of the way God is close and generous with us. But I think instead that we are going to um, focus on that topic during our blog posts in the in-between weeks. And that way we can hear from a variety of women in different seasons. And because that topic is just such a big one that I didn't want to leave it till the end and I didn't want to have to cover it all in just one video. So I hope that you have found the weekly homework to be helpful to your relationship with the Lord. And I also hope that you found a friend or two to stay in closer contact with during our study. Again, if you ever have any technical difficulties, Cindy has kindly offered to be our IT support. So if you have any troubles, you can reach out to her or to us and we'll help you get in touch with her. Um, and we would love to help. Right now, if you are following along with us on the study, you should have watched the first introduction video, done one week of homework, read Cindy's blog last week, and then done another week of homework, and now you're here. So this is week three, even though this is session two, because it's our second video. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get right into our lesson for this week. Father, we are so grateful that your mercies are new every morning. You are faithful to us. We get to draw near to you in our time of need because you have never let us down. Help us to get a better picture of your heart and motivation towards us. Speak truth over us today and help us to see where you are active in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we come to you in the power of Jesus' name. And we don't have to do anything outside of what you are calling us to. Help us to want your benefits and your ways. Help us to walk in your freedom, to receive your grace for today, and to be strengthened in knowing that you are God our Father. Amen. Today we are going to focus on the differences between spiritual orphans and adopted sons. We'll have a few major scriptures to go through, as well as some lists to walk away with uh, as tools for the next couple of weeks. We are trying to be active participants in the tilling of our hearts, using this topic to break up some of the hard parts so that God's truth can fall on soft ground. But we aren't trying to get a to-do list together or a method to live the only thing we can truly hold on to is the Father Himself. We were never promised the fruit of the Spirit, His peace to reign in our lives, healthy marriages, healthy bodies, or anything else just because we follow the rules. We were promised an opportunity for an affectionate, intimate, warm relationship with our Creator. And we were promised life with a capital L, as my mom says. Uh, take a moment and think about the differences in rules and discipline in a home 
versus the differences in rules and discipline in a job. God's discipline is the one in the home. It is about removing the things that are separating us from Him, about restoring us to who He made us to be, about helping our hearts where they are hurting. So this study is not about our behavior. It's about our posture. And during the rest of today, as we talk about different behaviors or thought processes that might apply to us, it's more geared to see if they are coming from an unhealthy posture with God. I was reading a book last year by Sarah Hagerty. I think that's how you say her name. She's an adoptive mom, and in the book she tells lots of stories, but she tells this one story about one of the girls that she adopted. This girl, I think, was about six to eight years old when she adopted her, and they had already adopted a few children, her and her husband, before. Soon after this specific adoption, Sarah and her whole family went to the beach. At one point, she suddenly realized that this girl that they had just recently adopted was um, not around them, and she panicked, and she started looking for her, and she thought she saw the girl walking away from them a little further down the beach. So she um, ran after her, calling her name, and the little girl did not turn around, but when Sarah caught up with the girl, she realized that the girl had been stung by a jellyfish while she was playing in the water. And instead of calling out to her parents or even just standing there and crying when this girl got seriously hurt by a jellyfish, she ran away. She was stung by a jellyfish, something that could have happened to anybody, even an adult, and it was to no fault of her own. But her reaction when she was afraid was not to run toward her father or her mother, but to run away. Some of us can relate to this. We might be okay with God while we feel like we are doing a good job or it's not hurting that much. But what happens when we get hurt? When you feel like you really did mess up? What happens at these times is a strong indicator of our true posture with God and where our fears and brokenness might still be robbing from us. After all, what more could we really want than a compassionate and loving father at those times when we are scared and disappointed and hurt. Scientific studies show that biological orphans, so true orphans when we think about them, after they are adopted, still often struggle with heavy mental or behavioral hardships, such as alienation from people, guilt or shame, clinginess, insecurity, trouble sleeping, fatigue, abuse of or addiction to different substances or behaviors, anger, grief, or depression. We can use this list, sometimes altered slightly, and still apply it to us when we are behaving like spiritual orphans. So alienation from people. In our case, we can say alienation from God or alienation from people. Guilt or shame, clinginess, insecurity, trouble sleeping. For us, we could say lack of peace or rest or a true trouble sleeping. Fatigue, abuse of or addiction to different substances or behaviors such as food, 
TV, social media, books, phone games, shopping, creature comforts, anything that numbs us, distracts us, or makes us feel temporarily better like a band-aid. A lack of energy or creativity, anger, grief, and depression. Spiritual orphans have a mentality that they won't have enough and that it's up to them to get enough. Spiritual orphans believe that if they mess up, they won't be worth protecting, worth taking care of. Do you ever find that you mess up in an area God has been talking to you about, and then because it's already messed up, you kind of jump in the ditch with both feet? Like, why not numb yourself now with TV? Because you feel really guilty about that thing, and it's not like you could do it perfectly now anyways, because it's already messed up. This is such a sign of an unhealthy posture in my own life. Because first, God was never after my perfection. And second, why would I want to wait one more minute before coming to Him, my source for everything that I need in that moment? Because orphans feel there is a lack for themselves, they cannot be generous with others. Their biggest concern concern is making sure others never think they are in the wrong so that they will be found worthy of the protection and care that they need. An orphan's treasure is their own survival, leaving no room for treasuring God or other people, leaving them more empty than ever. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's in Matthew 6.21. Every relationship suffers when an orphan is treasuring their own survival. Every relationship suffers, specifically the ones that most require you to lay yourself down. Because you can't. Because you have to protect yourself. Without grasping and emitting God's generosity, we are false witnesses to his extravagance and goodness because nobody wants to come to a stingy father. Not us and definitely not the people around us. I know that today's session might be kind of painful. It is for me. So I want to take a break now to remind us that we are saying this so that we can identify orphan parts of our hearts that have the opportunity to be loved and cared for so that all of us can be a son. We can be holy sons. Hosea 1.10 and Romans 9.26 both say, In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. In the place where it is said, you are not my people. In those places, we will be called children of the living God. God has already adopted us into his family. He's already offered himself fully to us as father. And we are becoming fully his little by little, like Laura Casey said. If these words are painful, it's because they are touching things that are out of alignment with God. And they don't have to be that way. Things that are out of alignment mean that they can be in alignment. So this is good news. Don't let yourself come under condemnation. Okay, so let's get into orphans versus sons. Orphans 
hear that God loved us while we were yet in our sins and think, I shouldn't have been in my sins. Sons know that Jesus is not sorry for what he has done. It was the best, his best for our best. When orphans think about freedom, they feel guilty for not already being there and mad because they don't know how to get there. An orphan's freedom is removed from relationship with the father. So it's this thing that is frustrating. Whereas sons see the freedom as offered while we are hand in hand with him, following him for each step and not taking on jobs that aren't ours to take. Often orphans get guilty and mad and frustrated thinking about freedom that they don't currently have in their lives because they are looking at it removed from relationship with the Father. So it's just this thing that, of course, they can't get to or accomplish on their own. Orphans despise discipline because they see it and feel it as a lack of love or proof of abandonment. Sons see discipline as proof that the father has not and will not leave. He disciplines those he loves. He does not discipline you and then walk out the door. Orphans spend a lot of their time as a slave to fear. Sons know that fear can't make them safe. That's what Jess Connolly says. Orphan hearts say, I'm doing the best that I can. And this is genuine. We really are trying. But it comes from the law. The good news of the gospel says that Jesus made a better way. We are on a journey to retrain our hearts, to believe our good Father, to receive His unending care, to walk beyond our own measures and resources, to be restored and renewed over and over, to walk in our spirits instead of our souls, and to fellowship Him. When we are living that way, we don't often come to the point where we need to say, I'm doing the best that I can. Because we are so secure in Him doing the best that He can for us. We are all invited to come to God our Father. Orphans don't know how to come without some sort of reservation. But His invitation to us will be a welcome break when we believe that there is comfort and warmth awaiting us. In the last video... I spent some time talking about the discipline the Father pours out for us. And then I want to go back to that again for a moment. A loving parent sees a disobedient child and knows that the child needs connection and love. Tim Keller says that when he saw his sons disobeying as they were growing up, his own heart went out to them more, not less. This includes discipline, but is not limited to it. Sometimes, just a moment of full attention with the child can transform them. God knows when we are acting out that we need to spend time with Him. Whatever way He is interacting with us is His full and best love in that moment. Perhaps when we are in sin, He is the most willing, the most willing to meet with us, 
to hear us, because he sees our acting out and our needs for what they are. We should not let the enemy convince us otherwise. We should heed the warnings and know that even when our orphan mentalities say we should run, that we really just need to sit. The last thing that I've noticed shows an orphan mentality in me is when I am hearing biblical truth from somebody else, from the Bible itself, but it's making me feel afraid, guilty, or disappointed. This is just one more sign that I do not have a full understanding of the things of God. If hearing the gospel makes me feel like I'm not doing enough, then I need to remind myself that God's truth is the thing my heart was made for. So I wouldn't really be disappointed about it if I got how great it really is. So what am I missing? That's the question that it invites me to ask when I have these feelings crop up. What am I missing? If we run, if we hide, if we numb ourselves, if we take on the weight of the world and the weight of the law, if we can't see his goodness and provision and desire inside of his commands, we aren't trusting him and we aren't experiencing his faithfulness and love when we could most benefit from it. These are God's promises when we are hurting. You have a list in the notes. God says, I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear. I will help you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for hope and a future. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places. I will give you rest for your soul. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He promises to provide for those who mourn, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. I will turn their mourning into joy, give them consolation, and bring happiness out of grief. I will refresh the priests with an abundance, and my people will be satisfied. And lastly, in this place that you say is a ruin, there will be heard again a sound of joy and gladness, the voice of the groom and the bride, and the voice of those saying, Give thanks to the Lord of armies, for the Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. Now we're going to talk about Romans 8. Originally, I was going to read this entire chapter to you. I'm not going to do that, but I do encourage you sometime in the next two weeks, in addition to your homework, to read through Romans 8. There's actually, our key passage comes from there, and there's lots of stuff about sons versus orphans in there. And there's lots of stuff that would be really helpful to memorize if you're interested in that. But I've given you a table in your notes, your participant notes, 
that comes, everything comes from Romans 8. And it's got a column for sons and a column for orphans. If you'd prefer, you can make your own table as you're reading through Romans 8. Um, that might be a good exercise. But right now, in an effort to not bore you by reading an entire chapter, I will just go over the table. So, for sons, there is no condemnation. For orphans, there's, they're just under condemnation. <laughs> for sons, the Spirit's law of life has set us free. When we are acting like orphans, we are acting like a slave to the law of sin and death. For sons, God completed what the law could never have done. For orphans, there are always requirements that are never fully met under the law. For sons, we walk according to the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. But orphans walk according to the flesh. Sons think about the things of the Spirit. Orphans think about the things of the flesh. Sons have a mindset of life and peace versus an orphan's mindset of death. Sons have a mindset that is they are enabled to submit to God, and therefore they are in unity with God. Whereas when we act like orphans, it is hostile to God, and it cannot submit to Him. An orphan mentality cannot submit to God, because it cannot say, you are my father, because it's an orphan. For sons, His Spirit lives in us. For orphans, we are acting out of an empty, aching orphan soul. Sons are pleasing to God because they are filled with the Spirit. But orphans, apart from the Spirit, cannot please God, no matter what they do. Sons have a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Orphans do not belong to Him. Sons are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Orphans are slaves who live according to fear. Sons are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of those who love God. That is his sons. Sons are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus. Sons are called, justified, and glorified. Sons can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? What more could be done to us? Sons can say God will grant us everything because he's given us his son. What would he hold back from us? Sons can say who can bring an accusation against me? God's elect. He has justified me. He has called me and forgiven me. Sons can say nothing can separate us from his love. And sons are more than conquerors through Jesus. I want to draw our attention to a phrase that has been used a lot today. The phrase is to live under the law. And I'm going to give us a picture for what that means. In Jeremiah 17:1, it says, The sin of Judah is inscribed with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. 
First, let's talk about how sin engraves our hearts like a diamond stylus engraves stone. It was the most permanent and painstaking form of writing the Israelites had. Our sin, and sin in general, sin with a big S, is written forever on our hearts, our source of life. It carries its influence over into our relationships, our reactions, our choices, our fears. We forever feel maimed in that place. We forever carry that load of needing to do better, to make up for something, to try not to get hurt in the same way again, to pay for what we have done, but also to protect ourselves against what could be done to us. As God says later in Jeremiah, Your injury is incurable, your wound most severe. You have no defender for your case. There is no remedy for your sores and no healing for you. After all, who could help you? We have all sinned. None of us can bear the weight of another because we have all fallen short. Until God sent Jesus, who did what no man could do. Through Jesus, God could erase the permanent marks on our hearts and engrave instead his teaching on our hearts. He says, so I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin that used to be so permanent. Instead of sin marring and tainting our source of life, it would be God's purposes that influence our relationships, our reactions, our choices, our faith. In the same chapter where God said that their injury was incurable, he later says, but I will bring you health and will heal you of your wounds. When we act as orphans, we act like we are still under the law. We act out of the sin engraved on our hearts, like Jesus didn't make a way for our wholeness, didn't make a way to remove that from our hearts and give us a heart of flesh with his teaching and his life as our source. Now let's talk about how Jeremiah 17.1 also says that their sin was engraved on the horns of the altars. There are a couple different theological viewpoints of this verse because we don't know if Jeremiah is referring to the altars for the one true God or for the altars of the Israelites' idols. But I'm simply going to talk today about what it means if it's referring to the altar of the one true God. Okay, so we're going to say that their sin was engraved on the horns of their altars and this is the altar for the sacrifice to the one true God. The horns of the altar in the Old Testament were the raised corners of the altar. And this is where the sacrificial blood, the atonement, was smeared by the priests to make atonement or a payment for the Israelites' sin. In other words, the horns were the place that God would look. He saw the blood, the payment. He could be, if he saw the blood and the payment, he could be close with his people because their sin and their distance was taken away and temporarily paid for according to the law, right? 
the law required them to make sacrifices and to put that blood on the horns so that they would be covered and cleansed from their sin. But they had to make sacrifices daily, monthly, yearly. They had to make lots of sacrifices to pay for all of the ongoing sin and the distance that was created by it. So for Judah... Instead of God looking and seeing the sacrifice and the blood on the horns, when that blood dripped off, there on these horns was engraved their sin. Their sin was deeper than the sacrifice. It was a sign that God's people might have been obeying in their behavior, but not in their hearts. They were not truly obeying him. They were just making the sacrifices to cover over it. When Jesus came and died for us under the new covenant, he was the ultimate atoning sacrifice. Once and for all, his blood covers our sin forever. We don't have to keep making sacrifices. When God looks at us, his children, we are covered under Christ's blood instead of an animal's. But when we act as though he is not our father, when we act like orphans, we again show a horn engraved with sin rather than a horn covered in atonement blood testifying to our covenant relationship with him that Jesus paid for on the cross. Let me remind us one more time that we are looking for the orphan mentality that might be hiding in us not because we are getting it all wrong, but because it is not the Father's heart that any should perish. In John fourteen eighteen, in the Amplified Version, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, bereaved, and helpless. I will come back to you. My uncle, Will, wrote a song recently called The Well. And he said it was based on a dream that he had where he saw someone going to the well to draw out water. He said he wanted to be like this person, that the person frequented the well to the point that it was what other people knew about him. It was the rhythm of his life to go and draw water frequently. Orphans may act in all the different ways that we've talked about today, but sons and daughters, they get to relate to the Father until they are really good at drawing water. Getting good at drawing water doesn't mean it will get easier or simpler, but it does build the relationship. It doesn't mean the water is any less heavy to carry or the handle or the rope is any lighter or easier to turn, but it means we know when we are running low. We know where to go, and we know that both parties are 100% invested and delighted to be doing it again. The more we go to the well, the easier it is to trust that God will be there, ready to fill, happy to be with us, with stuff to say and stuff to do, Similarly, Jeremiah 17 verses 7 through 8 says, The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, 
is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes, and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. This tree sends its roots out toward a stream. It's still planted by water, but it sends its roots out. I want to get better at going to the well. I want to be poured out and be poured into. I want to get better at not fearing getting empty because it's the rhythm of our lives. It's the thing that people should know about us. Here are the words to the song. Lord, help me to be well. Help me to love well. To receive the life you always wanted to see. Pouring over and in. Flowing over and out. Over again and again. Lord, help me to drink deep. Help me to be clean. To believe the love, your loving kindness for me. Let the children come. Come to God. I hear him calling our names as we run. Thank you for the life you always wanted to see, the life you brought and offered to me. Help me to come home. Help me to go out. Lord, help me to be on my way, always to and from the well.